0: Hopefully, you know, we all grow every day, we learn from our mistakes, absorb, digest and just keep moving. So, it just can't be about, um, can't just fixated it on a particular job.
1: Hey! This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property investor and buyer's advocate at Property Magnate Consulting, Pradeep Lashmanar. We delve into his background from growing up in India and Nigeria to traveling to Australia, what life was like after moving to Australia, the amazing story of his first investment property and much, much more. Lesha shares a little bit of his background and what work he is going on in his life at the moment. Originally, I
0: come from India and um, I've, I'm in IT. I also do a bit of part-time uh, print modeling, short films and um, yeah, my, my core business, my core passion is uh, being a buyer's advocate uh, for my customers. Um, my own business is, the name of the business is Property Magnet Consulting and uh, yeah, that's uh, where my passion is.
1: He has more going on than just property and we learn about his mindset behind juggling all of them at once.
0: You live once and if you have different passions and as far as you know you're not hurting hurting anyone and you're fulfilling it then have a go you know. Um, you know break that ceiling, break that threshold and you know just pursue everything you can and as far as you enjoy it so I uh, I quite enjoy it. I enjoy my work in IT, I enjoy my short film making and um, absolutely passionate about you know property because that just gives us that um, what I call financial independence or financial buffering if you like to be able to pursue your different passions.
1: We find out what a typical day for Lashir looks like and how his team is able to help their clients when it comes to property.
0: The C- kind of customers that I actually help is uh, people who are you know from 1st term buyers to investors. People generally who have the fear of overpaying for properties, perhaps not knowing where to start, how to go about um, uh, researching about properties.
1: He talks to us about his background and we learn about where he grew up and how that upbringing has helped him.
0: I actually uh, grew up uh, across two countries. So originally I'm from India, you know, I spent a good time of my life there. Uh, We then went to Nigeria, Africa. Um, I spent, you know, close to uh, 10 years there in in the country. And then the next one third is in Australia, so I'm not sure where the next one third is going to be. But it's my life so far has been split across three countries. So yeah, it's it's I think travel has helped me quite a bit in terms of you know tolerance and appreciating different cultures and people. Um, yeah, so that's really really been um, helpful.
1: Spending his childhood across two countries on different continents. He learned about what he wanted in his future.
0: You know, my schooling has been across two countries: so India as well as um, uh, uh, Africa, West Africa, Nigeria. And you know, I, you know, school was good. I mean, I, I think my parents, um, especially my mother, she didn't want to put me somewhere very far. So <laughs> the school was really as close to close to home, walkable distance, if you like. And um, yeah, you know, middle class family. You know, not nothing, extra, nothing out of the ordinary or extravagant. But we had a decent middle-class family. Parents worked very hard, obviously, to give us the basics. You know, food, clothing, shelter, and ensure that there was no shortage of anything. But yeah, I mean, I was always intrigued towards. You know, um, you know I just thought there's more to life than just going to work nine to five, and um, you know, there has to be something more to this. Um, yeah, yeah, and I always thought about know, how do we go up out of our way, out of the box and create that journey or that pathway to its success, whatever that might be, because again that's a very subjective thing to every every human being. So um, you know, I just thought the traditional way, schooling, college and then go to work nine to five, that's okay. But surely, you know, we could be entrepreneurial in, in our in our individual journeys and, and create that financial freedom.
1: Lesham tells us the amazing story about how his family eventually transitioned from living in India to moving to Nigeria.
0: My dad uh, got an opportunity to work in Nigeria. So he at that stage said, look, I've got to take this opportunity to provide a better life for my, myself and my family. So he went, we went there, and my mother, my sisters, myself, we went there. Um, you know, we stayed there for a few years, I think close to a decade, almost 10 years. And uh, I think, you know, we came back You know, when I was probably around 14, 15. I think I came back to the country, back to India. Yeah, but it was more to provide a better, you know, better life for the family. And uh, my father continued to work there as well. For a few more years even after we came so that's the sacrifice he had to make you know <laughs> he said you know, he, he sent us back my, my mom, my sisters and myself back to India and he stayed there and it always stayed in my mind that you know we you know the par- parents always go above and beyond for their kids and the family you know um, I'm a father now you know, and, and I've got my wife and you could imagine if I got separated from my wife and kids and lived out of the state, I mean, I mean let alone on the country, <laughs> to provide a better life. It's, it's just, the you know, most what middle-class families do, to run, um, to provide for a better life. So that's all, that always stayed with me. You know, that always thought, uh, you know, I would want to, hopefully, you know, they, they worked so hard to establish a foundation for me. Hopefully I could use that and do something better.
1: Being apart from a parent at that age was extremely difficult for him. And we find out about how often he was able to see his father when they were living in different countries.
0: Back in those days, he was coming once in two years, you know, because it was it was tough for him as well. You know, you couldn't. Uh, we would try and make it an annual kind of a thing, annual trip, but at times, and, and back in those days, you know, we didn't have the internet or the you know mobile phones, if if you like. So it used to be um, we used to call it a trunk call, an international call, and an international call, call as a trunk call, was a was a big thing. You know, it was expensive. Be you had to call perhaps the neighbors or someone, and then you could go and you know get the phone from there, and and um, yeah, look, it was definitely not easy. And I think I appreciate and respect the sacrifice he made, my mother made, so that we as kids could have you know a decent middle class life, you know, with with the basics. Um, so you know, it, it very at a very early age, you realize that the world is very competitive, Tehran. You know, it's a competitive world. Yes, it's extremely materialistic as well. You've, you've got to live, you've got to pay your bills, uh, you've got to work. And I always thought that's great, but what if you, you know, you you created that financial freedom sooner than expected? There surely must be a way to create that financial freedom to be able to achieve whatever you want to achieve, rather than wait till your late fifties or sixties. We meet people grow individually. You I think we all grow, right? Um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we all grow every day. We learn from our mistakes, absorb, digest, and just keep moving. So it just can't be about, um, can't just fixated it on a particular job. Yeah. Yeah. As you just rightly said, we're here. We've got to enjoy life. Enjoy the sun. <laughs>
1: He shares more about what he set out to do after high school and some of the sacrifices that needed to be made for him to achieve his goals. My primary
0: education as I said was split between India and Nigeria. Initially it was in India and then went to Nigeria and then from Nigeria we went back to India. So I continued my secondary, uh, you know we call this college here in Australia but that was 7th standard back in India uh, or, year, or year 7 back again to the roots in India. Uh, did my engineering there as well. and uh, from there I uh, in 2003 I came to Australia as an international student with a loan of16 thousand dollars. you know and now please put this into context back then there was a lot of lot of money from uh, from my family you know16 thousand dollars multiplied by 30 rupees, which was the you know the, the conversion right back then. It was a lot of money for us you know, for my parents. and my father had to take a loan. It was an educational loan taken. He said, "Whatever you do, don't fail. <laughs> Just pass. Because as an international student, not many people are aware. If you do fail, then you've got to pay three times the price per subject. So, if, yeah, yeah. So if something's going for three hundred dollars, if you if you do fail, you've got to pay three times the price, like nine hundred dollars, <laughs> as opposed to who you know a normal normal could would pay. So the idea was, look, we've got a loan. You know, you've got three years, and I still remember him saying, telling me that in the airport." He gave me um, $3,000 and 10 US dollars. I still have the 10 US (laughs) dollars. I still kept it. And I keep telling him, showing it to him everywhere I meet him. And uh, yeah, the key was don't fail.
1: And what did you do when you came to Australia to study?
0: My areas of study was IT, so computer science. Um, But in IT, uh, I've got my bachelor's in computer science engineering. So the idea was I get my master's in IT from Trobe University. Fortunately, a two-year course was reduced to a one-year master's. A two-year master's was reduced to a one-year master's uh, because of the credits I could gain uh, I had scored uh, from my previous study, which was great. But having said that, uh, it was still a, you know, I still remember the first day in Australia I arrived, I had my 20 kilos of luggage and I, had, I didn't know a single soul, you know, and uh, there was, for me, the longest walk was when <laughs> um, the taxi driver, dropped me at the campus. And and Latrobe University is a massive campus, by the way, in Melbourne. It's, it's a massive campus. So that walk from where he dropped me from the gates till the campus, uh, you know, almost, uh, you know, one and a half Ks, almost, one and a half to two Ks, that walk was... You reflect a lot, you know. You're literally carrying your own luggage. There's no one to help you, just by yourself. It's just you, your luggage. You're trying to find... Um, you know, your room, you, there's a lot of thoughts and emotions in your mind. You don't want to fail. You know, you have education loan and also, you know, you've got enough money to perhaps last for a month. So you've got to actually find a job. And, you know, we had, as a student, you've got to work 20 hours, you know, 20 hours a week. That was by law. So I think it still is. So, um, yeah, the goal was to find a job as soon as possible. Um, and, uh, unfortunately I didn't know how to cook. Uh, actually i I still don't by the way so it was it was thinking hang on a second how do i manage this how do i manage my finances um and, and get through this so it was a it was an emotional journey but uh i'm glad it you know it happened to me because i wouldn't be where i am today without that that was character building for me
1: coming up after the break We'll delve into Pradeep Lashmanar's journey and how he got started in property.
0: Surely, there could be some alternative ways of, you know, creating income, you know. And I thought, well, one thing that I really like is property.
1: How he purchased his first investment property.
0: For me, the critical part was the entry price. You know, if we had secured that property at a right price point, I knew we would do well. And fortunately, you know, fortune favors the brave. I was fortunate enough to turn up at the auction, have the guts to be there, and we secured the property for $200,000.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Schump, and you're listening to Property Invest We discussed the living conditions that he had to deal with when he first arrived in Australia and how he dealt with it.
0: I had to find accommodation myself. So when I landed, I was at uh, you know Latrobe University, my accommodation was for three days only. So within three days, the idea was I had to find another accommodation. Um, the reason for that being, you know, campuses are expensive and I, as I said, I only had $3,000. The idea was to… You know, you want to ensure that you quickly go into a shared accommodation where the rentals are cheaper. Um, so the goal, you know, the goal was to find something closer to the university as well. You had to study. Remember, you can't fail as well. So you've got to find time to ensure you see your subjects and be attentive and all that. Uh, and also find a job because, you know, you've got to be able to manage your expenses. So I had, you know, A, find an accommodation, um, friend people, the right kind of people, fortunately. Um, Find a job uh, which can pay the bills, so as to speak. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was challenging, but you know, you come across all kinds of people, uh, even the ones which are not very helpful. That's okay. You learn from that. You know, you, you learn from adversity at times, and then you get some lovely people who are go above and beyond to help you. So yeah, I mean, I think one particular incident that stays with me is I remember when I was. Um, uh, you know back in those days I didn't have, I didn't have a mobile phone you know so and the only mobile phone my sister gifted to me I lost <laughs> in a in a tram so it was like oh my god what do I do so we used to use the uh, international calling cards to run. we used to get international calling call, call, calling cards to call India uh, it used to be valued at ten dollars which is a big amount of money for me back then out of which the connection fee two dollars used to go in connection fee <laughs> so all you're left with is eight bucks. And you had like fifty five minutes to speak. And used to I used to use the Telstra booth, the Telstra phone booth to, you know, put in the card and and, and 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 call my parents. One such time I think the calling card um, you know, got finished and I couldn't complete my conversation with my mother and my father. So I was very upset and I was sitting on the bench really upset. Um, there was this great Aussie guy who came to I don't even know the guy, he just comes comes across and says, Hey, you're right, buddy. I said, yeah, I'm all right, you know. This happened that I couldn't speak to my parents, unfortunately. The money in the calling card got over, and I, I don't have much money left, so I've got to wait for the next month to speak with them, you know. The idea was to call them once in a fortnight or at least once a month. He very kindly took out his mobile phone, which was a big luxury back then. I'm talking about 2003, and held me his phone and say, call your parents. I said, well, sir, this is an international call. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot of money. because that's okay, you go ahead. So for me, what was great about Australia is that, you know, you, you you yes, there are good and bad people everywhere, but you also meet people who are so kind and helpful. You know, this was an absolute stranger, very generous heart, uh, a stranger, you know. So that, you know, really it was very inspiring and humbling as well, you know, when you met some lovely people. So, yeah, I thanked him a lot. And uh, obviously, I didn't take up the offer, but I thanked him for his generosity, just that kindness, you know. Um So, yeah, that's where I knew that, you know, I want to pay it forward, you know. If I ever achieve some degree of success, then it's all about paying it forward, so.
1: There is a funny story behind the first job that Lashon Manar had when he was still at university.
0: My first job at university was uh, as a taxi driver. (laughs) I got fired in four hours flat less than four hours flat um, because back in those days, we used to get the Melway, you know, the Melway. Uh, we didn't, we, we never had the GPS and I'm bad with directions. I'm horrible with directions. Uh, and, you know, foreign country going through a Melway with direction, you know, it was hard. You know, I, I didn't know that, you know, how, we, how can you read maps and go from here to there? I eventually got better at it, but the, po- the point is four hours, you know, again, taxi business is a competitive business, you know, as an international student, um, if you're not quick enough, there's someone else ready to take your job. It's really simple.
1: Did you have a license already? Actually, I had
0: my international driver's license, so I could drive. I did have, by the way, uh, all above the board and legally, I did have my international driver's license. So yes, I could drive. But the the point is, um, you know, I was just too slow, and the owner of the tax of the of the taxis, um, God bless him, he actually said, "Look, man, you're too slow." Uh, you know, you can't be taking 10 minutes to look at a melway, and, and rightly so. Uh, I understand you're new in the country, but, you know, I actually got fired. There was someone else, so I, I lost that. Then I, um, I started washing cars and uh, I got fired from that as well <laughs> after a few days because they said you're too slow. Uh, this was the day, day and age, you know, where you used to wash cars physically, um, you know, not, not the machine wash. So, yeah, they said you're too slow. They still do that. Yes, they do. They do. But uh, these guys are pretty fast enough. When I look at it right now, you know, compared to me, I used to be too slow. And they're like, "No, you're too slow. You know, you've got to clean everything, and you've got to look at the tires, and, and this and that. You're just too slow." So I remember my boss telling me, "You carry mancha. You're too slow." So he fired me on the spot. And I said, oh, "Okay, I'm so sorry." <laughs> so I lost that job. Then I uh, I was rejected by McDonald's, which was really sad <laughs> because I'd prepared for it and all that I just couldn't get through they said uh, your English wasn't very good the feedback was your English was not very good we couldn't understand you or your accent so I thought okay what do I do now so I had a few rejections and I don't know surprise surprise um, I got a job in a call center um, in a tele- telecommunications call center for someone who is you know who who people said you couldn't speak uh, well good English or we couldn't understand you I worked in a call center and I think that was my I would say a decent break because you know doing all kind of odd jobs as you say as a student um, that helped me with cash flow that helped actually me paying for my own expenses, paying for my own rent.
1: With so much pressure on him to pass his subjects with the fear of having to pay three times its original cost, we find out whether he passed or failed.
0: When I did pass, I you know I... So uh, I got to it with an A grade. <laughs> so when I did pass and the transcript came, I was like, "Wow, this is great!" And for my parents, my obviously my parents were extremely happy. I still my, my my mother was in tears because you know it's a big thing back in India. You know, education is a big thing, especially with a big investment and stuff and so the sacrifices they've made. So yeah, they were very happy with that. Uh, I was very happy. Uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know how I passed, but I did pass. So, I, I thought, you know, I the idea was just to pass, but the score an A grade was just icing on the cake.
1: We delve into his life after university and what he decided to do after passing his subjects.
0: I went into workforce, I mean, I was, I mean, after the call center gig, that really helped me with my groundwork. Um, I got into different kind of IT jobs from IT sales to, um, you know, delivery, to recruitment, to product management, to business intelligence and data, and, and, and finally, I guess, a foot in the door, so as to speak, in the IT world, um, in the IT industry, uh, and since now, you know, started to contracting as well, which obviously helped with cash flow, and um, yeah, you know, that, that helped quite a bit. But. Perhaps what was missing was I said, I knew that whilst I enjoyed doing what I did, I was very consumed with the work, like we all are. You know, your work, you know, it's, it's. we say it's 9 to 5, but it's never 9 to 5, you know, uh, whether you're do, working for a consulting organization or you're working for an end user, you know, work never ends, work never stops. So I said, well, that's great, and I'm enjoying it, that's fantastic, but surely there could be some alternative ways of, you know, creating income, you know, and I thought, well, one thing that I really like is property. <laughs> That's how my property journey actually
1: started. During his property investing journey, we find out how he purchased the first property.
0: We saw a, a property in Reservoir. Um, the land was 717 square meters, a uh, big parcel of land. It's an old house, obviously, a very old house. Uh, so me, you know, my partner, and myself, she's my wife right now, but then my girlfriend, we said, well, look, this is a great investment. Let's get it. Um, you know, it's an old house, obviously, <laughs> pretty old house. But then if you look at the dynamics of the area, you know, it's, um, you know, 12Ks to Melbourne CBD, you know, the land always appreciates on. And I thought, look, there's a lot of drivers for this area. It was near the bus stop. You could walk to the tram station. Um, I did a lot of research. I went and visited the council the local council, and I said, look, what are your plans for growth for this area? And what's your five-year plan look like? Um, They were very surprised because not many people walk into a council and, you know, (laughs) ask you about a five-year plan. Um, But I think the more and more I researched the area, the more I realized that, you know, the surrounding areas were at least 40 to 50% more, at least. Um, And this was like literally five minutes away you know, from these sell which were, you know, uh, 50, 40 to 50% uh, more. So I said, look, let's get it. And yeah, we got that property uh, way in the market.
1: What year was that roughly when you got into that particular property?
0: 2003, so the same year. Um, I, I said, look, you know, we, we let's take a chance. Yes, we had to pay LMI and all that. But look, back then they were accepting, you know, 5%. Even now they do. But even back then it was probably a bit more lenient. The banks were slightly a bit more lenient, if that made sense. The idea was that, look, we put up a deposit as much as we could, um, you know, we then use that as a leverage uh, to enter the property market and see how we, how we you know, how we can create more wealth. Yeah, so that's what I did. So the trade-offs, just to let you note know, on the trade-off back then was, you know, do we pay our education loan or do I do pay off the education loan or do I basically <laughs> buy my first property? And that was a trade-off. It was a massive trade-off, you know. I said, I will keep paying the interest for my $16,000 education loan, but I'll buy this property. <laughs> and uh, back then, there was a lot of resentment as well, you know, and a lot of people, even from family and friends saying, what are you doing? You know, it's an old property. Um, you've got a very unstable job, if I can if I could put it that way. Because, you know, um, even though I had just got my break, my salary was $22,000, which was not a big amount of money, even back then. You know, the idea was the, for me, the critical part was the entry price. You know, if we had secured that property at a right price point, I knew we would do well. And fortunately, you know, fortunately, I was the so brave. I was fortunate enough to turn up at the auction, have the guts to be there. And we secured the property for $200,000, which, you know, that was exactly what I, you know, I had probably, you know, uh, $15,000. <laughs> mm-hmm. And together with my partner at that stage, and now my wife, um, we, were to, we were able to pull in that and we said, look, let's go ahead with it. It was a big decision back then.
1: Since he was still paying off his education loan and bought his first property in Australia, we delve into how he was able to string together the finances to get the deal done.
0: In hindsight, when I look back now, I wish I had a team. We could talk about my interest right here, my exit right here, my strategy, you know. Um, I wish I had that, you know, that kind of support. I, I never had that, you see. Because I was new in the country, it was uh, everything was self-taught. One thing I knew, though, was that this is going to appreciate. This is going to make money. Now, my view at that point in time was that I keep the property for a few years and then sell. At that point in time, that was my strategy. Obviously, I still do have the property, by the way, for the record. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't sold that. And it's done very well for me. But back then, as a you know, a 23, 24-year-old, that was just my objective was, I want to get in there. I've got a good deal here. Um, live me get in here I know I'm paying five percent I know I'm paying LMI but you know what it's still worth it let me just get in there and uh, secure this uh, opportunity um, back then the interest rates were high as well you know um, the interest rates were on 89% which was big what I did was my research t- told me that in Australia <clears throat> back in the 80s the interest rates were 16% 17% <laughs> I said to myself hey 89% is good um, obviously, it's got much better now right now with time. Everything was perhaps subjective to that time and uh, it was a big commitment but I took it as a calculated risk. You know, uh, I think just plain risk is, is silly and stupid but I said to myself, well, hang on, this is a calculated risk, You know, eighty nine percent in the event I can't pay these repayments, I could rent it out as well. So yeah, these were my options at that stage and I just went ahead with it.
1: He talked about the amount of research that he did before buying it. And anything else that ensured him that this property was going to make money.
0: You know, I think the for me was the um, the gentrification. I, I talk about that, the kind of people that were in that community, because you could see that there's a lot of younger crowd getting to that area. You know, so yes, the infrastructure was great. Yes, there were all these. Um, schools coming up there and all that kind of stuff. I think schools are a massive driver, you know, especially now I'm a parent, then I wasn't. But I used to think, hang on a second, should I get married and have kids one day? Obviously, you want to send your kids to the best, you know, the best school that's there, public or private. And there was a lot of that happening back then. You know, there was a lot of good schools coming out. The gentrification side of things, I could see a lot of younger couples coming in into that area. Uh, you see, I'd observed that area. You know, I had rented, that, rented in that area as well, you know. Uh, for the first 6 months 7 months so i knew what was happening in that area i would, I would always observe the kind of people coming in, in trams and train and i thought well look long term this is going to go well more importantly tiron the surrounding areas you know the reservoir is surrounded by you know places like you know you, you know your Preston is not far from a reservoir northcote is not far from a reservoir these areas are Right now, they're booming. Even then, they were booming, you know, at that point in time from a price point. But there was this massive difference in price. For example, something going in Preston even back then was going for around, you know, uh, $450, 500 And the very next suburb reservoir was going for 250 That's almost half the price, you know. 250 300 is almost half the price. So, I said to myself, geez. And in terms of um, the time, it's a five-minute drive. These suburbs are literally five minutes from each other. They're not far. They're actually not far. A few tram stops separate the two, you know. So I thought to myself, man, for an extra three or four tram stops, that is a lot of money. That's, you know, $200,000 to $300,000 is a lot of money. (laughs) It's not even a, you know, a $10,000 or $20,000 difference. You're talking about hundreds and thousands of dollars. So I said to myself, well, look, I've got to give myself a chance here. Um, It is a calculated risk. Um, The other key point was the entry price. Perhaps if the entry price and again, boring capacity, serviceability comes into picture as well. My point was if I could secure the property around that 220 mark, right, I would be okay.
1: We continue the conversation on this incredible story of his first property and how he was able to identify it as a profitable investment.
0: I would still manage to pay the repayment and stuff. Worst case, I could even rent it out. Uh, the position of a property was such that it was close to universities as well. So I could rent it out to students as well. All these thoughts were in my mind that should I not be able to service the mortgage, well, I'm gonna rent it out, you know, and go renting myself or go with shared accommodation, live in the property as well as, you know, rent out the other rooms. So all these things were playing in my mind. And I thought, I've got to secure this because what I could see is um, other investors and other people at that point in time, or my friends and mates, who were saying, hey, it's an old property, don't buy there. It's an old property, absolutely, you know, you're not going to make money. And um, for me, what I, what I said to myself is, well, the land is massive. I could see development opportunities. <laughs> I could see, and I, I had no idea how to go about getting permits. Obviously, now I do, but back then I had no idea, but that's on." Okay. Other people are doing it. I could see other other people knocking down homes and building townhouses and stuff. Maybe one day will come when I can afford to do that. But I just want to secure this property. So it wasn't just gut feeling. It was just all these data and facts, as I said, gentrification, the sound of people, the schools. Um, and look, you've got to be realistic. You know, for me, I had to say, can I service the mortgage? Because buying a property is one thing to own. You know, the holding costs, the holding, holding of a property over a period of time it's probably the more tougher thing than just buying a property. You know, as you rightly said, a lot of people who've lost money in property as well. You know, a lot of people have bought overpriced properties and, or, or even properties and can't even afford the repayments. So, yeah, so that was my gut feeling. They were my drivers.
1: So inspired by Pradeep Lakshmanara's journey and his amazing story on his first property investment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story where we'll discuss his strategy. Some of the
0: others that I've employed is around uh, uh, cash flow, pure cash flow because uh, I believe uh, cash is king <laughs> at the end of the day.
1: The personal habits which have been contributing to his success.
0: Despite being an investor for 15 years, you know, I took time and uh, I saw there's a gap there, that's why I formed. Property Magnet Consulting. Yes, yeah, certainly my mission is to help 100 people over the next five years.
1: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.